You're listening to the Yizzy Research Podcast, hosted and created by me, Imani, a researcher. This is the podcast for people who research people. In this episode, I'm chatting with Anne-Marie. Right now I'm working at Microsoft. Um, I'm a UX researcher too. And the area I work in is within DevDiv on the Python team. Any customers using Python, I'm doing customer research with them. In the past, I've worked at a few startups. Um, Actually, it was only just one startup. And then before that, I previously worked in an academic lab for UX research, very similar um, to the startup I'd worked on. This one was about memory recall um, and trying to create a system to assist with that. And besides that, I have experience just as a, a teacher's assistant. Sometimes research needs to be done quickly. My conversation with Anne-Marie will be about doing UX research in quick pulse cycles, how to organize these cycles, and how to avoid burnout doing them. So this is just my opinion. It's not the views and opinions of Microsoft as a whole, just me. A quick pulse cycle is a plan for weekly iterations of short, lightweight studies. So each week, Um, You should be focusing on a product or product area, maybe a feature, and doing some sort of engagement with customers, and then building on your past learnings from previous Quick Pulse studies. Mm -hmm. So you said that these happen weekly, right? So in one week, how would a Quick Pulse happen? So for example, on a Monday, would you form the hypothesis? Tuesday, develop a research plan? What would that look like in a typical week? Yeah, in a typical week for quick pulse planning, um, you're exactly right. You want to start with uh, formulating your hypotheses, as well as reviewing what you've learned in past studies so that you can keep building off of your knowledge from previous studies. Um, By the end of the week, or by the middle of the week, actually, you want to um, have your study plan defined. And typically, since these are iterative studies, you're just tweaking the study plan from the previous week to include your new questions um, or like a new concept that you're trying to test, maybe a new mock-up. And then towards the end of the week, you would actually be engaging with customers and um, figuring out what you learned overall so that you can be ready for the next study. From what you've described so far, it sounds like quick pulses are best suited for small sample qualitative studies like interviews, focus groups, usability testing. Is that usually the case? Exactly. Yeah. Quick pulses are best for smaller studies, definitely more qualitative focused, although I don't have a lot of success doing a focus group with quick pulses since at least I don't have a lot of success doing this since moving to remote studies um, because of COVID. We've tried having a few focus groups and what happens is a few people will be highly engaged and it's difficult to engage people uh, remotely. But for the most part, uh, we spend our time on quick pulses doing like concept value test interviews, um, usability studies, or just observational studies to see how are people using and engaging with our products. Focus groups are just hard in general. It's probably one of my least favorite methods. Like you said, you always have one person who's really engaged and other people don't get a chance to speak. It can be like an imbalanced situation. And you mentioned that with doing that like in person, that was challenging and even more so doing it remotely. So with the quick pulses, do you usually do those remotely? Like with even before COVID, were you doing the quick pulses remotely? Or was that something you had to do because of COVID? Before COVID, we did all of our quick pulses um, locally in our lab. 
So um, all of our customers were locally sourced, I guess you would say. And um, it was really great to do it this way for getting the rest of the team involved because it's an exciting thing to come into the lab and see the customer through the one-way mirror. We did have to change to remote studies because of COVID. And now we're as a team, we're at a place where we can either do in-person studies or remote studies. Um, I did move to New Jersey, so I am no longer near the lab space. And all of my studies are going to be remote for the most part. But one interesting thing to note since we just talked about focus groups is that when we were doing the in-person studies, um, we always ended our quick pull stay with a paired programming session. So we would have two customers working together. And when we put them in the same room and working on a similar goal, for the most part, it worked really well. And we got to hear a lot of interesting discussions about what would they do? Um, how would they approach a question or a task differently? And that worked really well when we had the in-person studies. But again, being remote, um, we found that we would have one person uh, screen sharing and taking over the task and the other person just sort of sitting back and writing along. Yeah, it's always hard to figure out what the balance is with those types of studies. When does it make sense for UX researchers to do a quick pulse? It makes sense most of the time to do a quick pulse. It's just really to be engaging and checking in with your customers. If you have a specific feature that you want to test or a specific experience or jobs to be done that you want to see how the customer approaches, that definitely helps to create a quick pulse plan. Having direction always helps. But even if we don't have that, I would say do an observational study so that you can see your customers engaging with your product and you can hear their feedback and get the rest of the team involved and engaged with that. So we talked about what a quick pulse study is and when is it best to use a quick pulse study in research? How is a quick pulse study organized? When you're first starting um, a quick poll series, um, either with one team or with multiple teams, it's a good idea to sort of map out the different customer experiences that you're interested in, which could be like a new concept that you're working on, just the product that you're using, how it could be like interviews to understand, but you want to map out your goals and specific like focus areas if you have any. And then the next step would be to think about your customer profile. Um, who are you going to be targeting for these studies? Where does the customer profile overlap with different experience areas? And then the next step is really just to get a schedule planned. Um, so for us, we do quick pulses every Thursday. And I work with a team. There's probably about 6 p.m.s that I'm working with. Um, and so we have an alternating schedule for when they take a quick pulse day. When you determine the quick pull schedule, um, what I do is I meet with the PM, the PM who's owning that week's quick pulse. And I meet with them a couple weeks in advance to discuss um, hypotheses and learning goals. And then we talk about what do we have to work with? Like, do we have a mock-up? Do we have a working experience? Do we have nothing? And do we just need to do an interview? Figure out what can we do? And then we'll discuss the study plan. Most of the planning does go into the or most of the energy and effort spent uh, preparing for a quick pulse goes into that very first planning session because the goal of quick pulses is to repeat your studies. Typically, we have a lot of hypotheses at that very first planning session. I was working with someone who once gave me a list of 30 hypotheses, and I just clarified we are not going to be able to address these all in one study. And so um, it's the point is to make a list so that you can track it 
and then repeat it over time. That's a lot. So there are a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of stakeholders. Is there some sort of sign-up sheet? Yes, I have a sign-up sheet. Um, this is accessible in our team's OneNote. Usually we have a planning meeting where every month we'll check in and the PMs will say, oh, I need a quick pulse for this day and I'll get them scheduled. Sometimes uh, demand for quick pulses gets really high and PMs will pop into the OneNote and say, oh, I just scheduled myself for this day and sort of steal the date before other people can um, have the chance to do it, which honestly makes me happy because it means they like doing the studies and they're getting value out of it. But yeah, we have a sign-up sheet. Um, usually I determine the schedule just by needs in the meeting, but sometimes they'll swoop in and say, I need this now, let's do it. And that's how we determine it. And who has access to this sign-up sheet? So it sounds like the product managers, you as a researcher, obviously, who else has access to it? Everyone on the Python team can access this. And that includes the product managers, that includes engineers and designers and other researchers as well. I do try to encourage other people besides just the managers to be the owner of QuickPulses. Um, so when I am like saying like, who's the owner, it's if you have like thoughts and you said, I kind of need this, I'll say, cool, like this designer is leading this QuickPulse this week because they're invested in it and I want them to feel that ownership over it. So since there's a study happening each week and the purpose of QuickPulses, um, it's supposed to be iterative and repetitive, right, with different hypotheses each time. For each study, is there a dedicated end user? So for example, if you're doing a study next week, are you focusing on end user X? Um, for each study, it kind of depends on who we're going to target. When we first started doing quick pulses, we had a more generic customer profile that we could use for almost any study. And as our like experiences evolved and we got more granular with uh, the types of features we'd be offering and the different experiences that we were creating, we needed to make our customer profiles a bit more specific. Um, so it depends on the stage of where we're at in the research. And right now we're kind of at a point where there's a mix of we have this base profile that we might use, but we also might need to tweak it. It depends on the, the needs, which is why we try to take care of planning two weeks in advance of the study actually taking place. You mentioned that when you first started the Quick Pulses, you started with a more general user profile and you got more granular as the needs became more specific. How did you create like a general user profile? Usually in UX research, we, we try to be specific with our personas and end users, right? So how did you create like a general profile? The general profile was made for me before I joined the team. And it included questions like, what products are you using for your IDE? What's your primary language? How often do you do this type of development? Um, it included, it was very, very broad. I did split this into two different profile groups because within the Python team, I work with Python like web developers and Python data scientists mostly, and they use very different uh, tools for the most part, and they do different types of work or different tasks in their daily, like day-to-day -day work life. So I did end up splitting that profile to be, that general profile into two subsets of profiles and then after that as we needed to focus on like a debugger i'll add in questions about debugging or if we're um, working on like getting started in a product i'll try to specify that they haven't used that product um, in the past so that we make sure we're getting the new users for more specific uh, quick pulses 
If you are an aspiring or current UX researcher who needs help with your resume, professional brand, interview skills, cover letter, LinkedIn profile, and portfolio, consider applying for the Yizzy Research Coaching Program. Coaching clients exit the program with a refreshed resume, cover letter, research portfolio, and detailed notes to make them more competitive in the UX research job market. If you are interested or know someone who is, visit yizzyresearch.com to learn more and apply. That's Yizzy Research, Y-Z-Z-I research.com. And you mentioned earlier that the product managers and the product or product owners have access to the sign-up sheet, right, to sign up for different sessions each week. Are there product owners assigned to each study? Yes. So there is always a product owner assigned to a quick pull study. And that doesn't necessarily need to be the PM. Um, it could be anyone on the team. But um, one important thing about quick pulses is that it's something that we bring the team along with us on, um, if that makes sense. It's Quick pulses aren't something that the researcher does alone and then reports back to the team. The owner, whether that be the PM, the designer, an engineer, or I mean, sometimes it's even interns or people from other groups, whoever it is that's the owner is expected to be as invested and involved as the researcher. So it's very important that we're not just given a goal to research and then we have no partner. We always have a partner. And for this product owner or this partner, what is their responsibility in the context of the Quick Pulse uh, study cycle? The product owner or the partner for the Quick Pulse is typically responsible for identifying learning goals. So what questions are we hoping to have answered from the Quick Pulse study? Sometimes they're responsible for creating hypotheses. Sometimes they just give me ideas for hypotheses and I'll ask them questions and show them, here's how you write a hypothesis and here's what we're going to begin tracking. It depends on where they're at and what their comfort level is with actually writing hypotheses. And then they're a partner in the brainstorming and planning process. So sometimes they'll come with an idea for what a study plan might look like. Other times we will just start with the hypotheses and learning goals and I'll start asking questions and say, so here's an option for how we can approach this in a study. What do we have to work with? And um, we collaborate on the study plan itself. Um, the other thing that the owners are responsible for is making sure that we actually have something to work with during the study. So if we have mock-ups, I need them to provide the mock-ups. Um, if we have an experience to test, I need them to get that set up with all of like the packages that someone might need to actually use our product. And then typically we also collaborate on the write-up. So I expect the uh, partner to be taking notes, um, to be sharing what they believe their takeaways are, and then we'll work together on that write-up. Since the quick pulses occur regularly and likely with the same stakeholders, is there a point when you as a UX researcher become a consultant or a coach to these stakeholders? as opposed to being the one running the study? Yeah, because we repeat these studies so often and they're exposed to customer research like so often, there is definitely a point in time where I can sort of take a backseat and let them run it um, and I take on more of a coaching role. It does depend on the individual though. So um, sometimes I will have partners who are very comfortable jumping in on a call and leading the entire session. 
And I'm just there taking notes and giving suggestions for other questions they might want to ask in the chat that we have going on in the background. Other times, my partners would prefer me to still lead the session because they really like being able to take notes freely and not have to worry about like paying attention, asking questions, and taking notes. It's a lot to do um, at once. But um, typically, what happens when that is going on and that sort of dynamic where I'm the one leading the session and they're just taking notes, what I see is they start asking questions in the chat in a very researchy way. Um, so they're learning, um, and I have, uh, there's one PM that I worked with who would say, oh, I anne marie this question because they're not asking, do you do this or do you do this? They're asking, like, tell me about the last time this happened. And then they realize that they're learning how to ask questions. I also do help set different people up for a success with studies that I'm not running. I can't do everything. <laughs> um, but people come and they say, I need to do customer interviews. And I'll say, cool, let me help you get some customers to talk to. And then they go off and do that study themselves. Or they want to do like an observational study. And I help them get set up and then I let them run. And they're able to do it confidently. I think because of that exposure to customer research, how to ask questions, how to ask follow-up questions, and um, what we're trying to gain out of the the study. And another part of helping the stakeholders stay synchronized is having clear hypotheses and clearly showing if the research validated or invalidated the hypotheses, right? In Quick Pulses, how does the UX researcher do that? Yeah, so we keep track of hypotheses in that week's study plan. Um, so we do have a OneNote that we use, and the OneNote's divided by each Quick Pulse has like one week, one date blocked out for it. So under that date, we have the um, hypotheses, which we try to link up to hypotheses and learnings from previous studies. Um, and we have all the other information from the study plan. So each category or date block has those hypotheses tracked from over time. And it sounds like with everything you've mentioned so far, there is a lot of documentation involved with this, right? So you have the research plan. What other documents do you have as well? We have a lot of documentation. This includes um, the hypotheses for that week's study, as well as uh, previous week's studies. Um, we include the screeners that we're using and any changes to the screener, um, and then the study plan and the write-up. And um, the write-up is shared to an email alias so that people who weren't immediately involved or directly involved with the study can still um, learn from it. Um, when it comes to hypotheses and hypotheses tracking, one thing that um, I try to push for is avoiding the language of validated and invalidated. Because quick pulses happen every week and we're doing quick pulses with a smaller number of customers, maybe only three customers, depending on how much time we need, I try to use the language of observed or not observed for that session. And then when we're reviewing what we've learned overall from the entire series of quick pulses, we'll um, add it all up and then we'll say like validated or invalidated. But for the individual quick pull sessions, did we observe this or did we not observe this? And that's how we keep track of those. I like that. Observe versus unobserved. I think that's, that's more fair, especially like you said, when you have such a small sample. And you mentioned that at the end, you would add them up and then see if it was validated or not. What do you mean by add them up? Yeah, so if we've done a few quick pull studies um, over like 
For example, we've been focusing on a series of studies since about December of last year. So what we would do is um, take a look at our hypotheses and the hypotheses that we tracked for each quick pull study we've done since then and see like what's going on. Are most of the hypotheses observed? And then at that point, if it is, we would say validated. If we still have like a mixed response of observed or not observed, we would adjust our study plan to see how can we address this hypothesis because something's not going well in our study plan if we still don't have an answer to this. So that's when we would start making tweaks to the study plan to address it. But um, yeah, we just review what we've learned over the past couple months and figure out what we know and what we still need to learn. And then talking about quick pulses, so there's a huge element here of empowering your stakeholders to either do the research on their own or at least understand why you do it in a way that you do, or at least um, having them in the sessions being able to take thorough notes and ask good follow-up questions, right? So there's definitely this culture of empowerment with the quick pulse cycles, especially as it seems the way that you've chosen to structure them, right? And a successful quick pulse study functions as a multiplier, right? And what does that mean for it to be a multiplier? To be a multiplier means exactly what you just said. I want to empower people to do their own research and to engage with the customer directly. I don't want to be a blockade and I don't want to be a middle person between the team and the customer. I want them to feel empowered to learn from the quick pull studies and then go off and do their own research whether it be in the study or in a different study. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, um, does it feel like you're being not pushed out, but does it feel like you're needed less if you empower your stakeholders more? How do you feel about that? I definitely do not feel like I'm being pushed out when I'm empowering people to do their own research. Um, In some ways, it's a relief because there can be very high demand for uh, UX research, and I'm only one person. So when my partners can learn how to do it themselves, um, that helps me. And um, I'm able to manage my own workload a lot better. Uh, But also, they still come back to me for help a lot. They still need help. They still need like the validation that they're going about this the right way. Um, they're, they're researchers, but they also need help from the research team, if that makes sense. And when you have all of these findings, what do these findings culminate into? For the most part, the result of the quick pull studies is changes in the experience. Um, so we do these studies every week. At the end of the week, we have an idea of what we learned, what we're going to tweak in the experience, and what we're going to test next. So over a few months or maybe a year, depending on how complex the study is, we could either create a new experience from scratch or modify one to the point where, you know, we're releasing different changes in the product and we're seeing the feedback as people are using it. Um, So to sum it up, the biggest result is just product changes and experience changes for the customer. We also do share all of our learnings to an email alias. Um, So we have a record of what we've learned, what we've done, what we've changed. And when you send these notes to the email alias, who's a part of this alias? Like product managers, business partners, what are their general job titles? The email alias that we send our results to is so huge. I'm not sure all of the job titles that are included there. And I'm not even sure if it's limited to our organization or if other people can access it. I am not sure. But 
there's a lot of people on that alias and I'm sure they span all different types of job titles. It's a way for them to engage with research if they're not able to do it themselves at this time. So um, I think it's good. <laughs> and where are these findings stored? Is there a repository, an air table, a spreadsheet where all these findings can be accessed? Yeah, so the findings would be in CD Notes, um, which is the email alias that we send all of our learnings to. Uh, the CD is customer driven. Um, those are automatically uploaded to a online database where you can search for um, like a different customer profile or a specific product experience to see what anyone else has done on this area before you begin your own research. Um, and then the results are also um, stored with closer to the Python team. So it would be stored within that OneNote that we all use and can access a bit more easily, I would say, than going on and searching a database. But those are the, the three places where the results are stored. So we talked all about quick pulse cycles, what they are, who's involved, how you share the findings, how you track the hypotheses. Now, as we wrap up, for UX researchers listening, how do UX researchers regularly run quick pulses but avoid burnout? I think that the way to keep up with a quick pulse cycle while still avoiding burnout is, well, I think there are two tips that I would give for this. The first is very careful planning in that very first session um, or that very first quick pulse session that you do. Make sure that you have your hypotheses clearly listed. You know what your learning goals are. You know what you have to work with and how you're going to design your study plan. So if you load most of your energy into that first session, all of the um, quick pulses following that, you're just going to have to minorly tweak it. Um, so it is very manageable. And then when it comes to like time management and energy on the actual studies themselves, um, coaching other people to help with this helps a lot. Um, so letting them know, like, here's how you ask questions um, so that they can go in and run their own sessions. That helps a lot, as well as um, helping them identify like what to pay attention to in the studies. Um, so, for example, sometimes people will be very focused on bugs that customers encounter, but not so focused on the impact that that has on their work. So redirecting them to say, hey, I noticed that they're doing this now because of that. That's interesting. And then we can have a little bit more help with the write-ups um, and focusing on not only like the bugs and the technical issues, but how is this impacting the customer? Because we try to create, uh, with Quick Pulses, the goal is to create customer empathy um, and make the customer real for people, especially if they weren't um, able to be at the study themselves. We want to have them empathize with them. And then lastly, for researchers listening, if a UX researcher has never done a quick pulse before, what advice would you give them? Yeah, my advice would be to maybe try doing this internally first with um, people who would fall into your customer profile. Um, try it out, see what you can learn, and then start reaching out to people. Um, quick pulses can be a very lightweight to get a lot of customer interaction. Um, so. If you wanted to get started with Quick Pulses, um, just do what you can with what you have available to you now. Get the team's investment and then continue on. Getting started where you're at is a good researcher tip. It's a good tip for life, actually. I also like Anne-Marie's suggestion that coaching others to do research is a way to mitigate burnout. 
Amory's tips and perspectives are actionable and reasonable. Thanks for listening to the Yizzy Research Podcast, the podcast for people who research people. I'm Imani, the host and creator. Visit yizzyresearch.com for podcast show notes and information about my UX research coaching program. Again, that's yizzyresearch.com, Y-Z-Z-I, research.com. This podcast was produced by Whisper and Mutter.